Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Lineage Church. Those of you who are here with us this morning, those of you who are joining us through the live stream, those of you who are first-time visitors today, we're so thankful to have you. My wife, Sonny, and I are the pastors of this church. Wave your hand. My wife, Sonny, and I, she and I have been uh, leading here. We're so thankful to God. We've got some folks even in the room right now who have been with us since day one, like Kevin and Sylvia Carrington. Sylvia was the one giving the announcements here this morning. Uh, David Earlman, Dyrell and Shinway Venable. Uh, so it's... it's uh, such a blessing to look around the room and see folks that have been here for more than 19 years since day one. And so, but also each and every one of you that have joined us along the way, even up till today, we're so thankful to have you along for the journey. Uh, it's been such a blessing and a privilege. Today is part four of our series, The Unknown Jesus, Jesus Unknown. Uh, Jesus Unknown. Today is part four of our Unknown Jesus. I see uh, Pastor Larry Ann and Anthony Vernell coming in. Good to see you folks today. Give it up for Pastor Larry Ann. And I want to say that our very own Pastor Chinway Venable had a birthday. Where's she at? Come in here, Pastor Chinway. I know she wore it out. She woe out after, after leading us in worship. But Pastor Chinway turned 26 years old, 27 years old. The day before yesterday, so we just got to take a moment to sing, Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Pastor Chin Wei. Happy birthday to you. Give it up for. I had to take the time to do that because y'all don't know how hard she works behind the scenes for every single one of us here. She is a laborer in the vineyard of the Lord. She does everything unto the Lord, and so she deserves to be showered with gifts. So y'all just, you know, everybody just give her like $5 after the service. Just, just put a little something in her hand. Just bless her with a little something, something. Our Venmo, Venmo. We need, that's a little, you know. All right. Thank you, Pastor Chinway. God bless you. All right, Jesus unknown, Jesus unknown. Uh, today we're looking at a passage of scripture in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. You can turn there or we're going to put it on the screen. We're looking at the New King James Version, Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Chinway, uh, please have the worship team ready to come back at the end of this message because I need y'all back. Uh, Let's read it together. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? If 
Father, I thank you today for the power of your word and spirit. I pray that every heart would open, that every soul would open to receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls. We thank you for it today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Here in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells a whole bunch of parables. There's a crowd, a multitude gathered. They want his ministry. They want his words. They're there to see Jesus. They're there to touch Jesus. They're there to hear Jesus. And in every ministry situation, whenever there was a crowd gathered, Jesus took the time to try to feel out, what does this crowd need? What does this crowd need? He did everything according to what the people needed because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He discerned what they needed that day. They needed to hear his teaching. He got into a little boat because there was such a multitude pressing him and pushing him into the water. So he got into a little boat and sat down. And the multitude pressed into the shore to hear his words. And then he just started telling them parables. Parable after parable after parable. You know what a parable is, right? It's an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. That's what the parables of Jesus were. And there's a verse that says that he told the parables to create readiness in the hearts of the hearers. And the thing about Jesus is that when he would tell parables to the multitudes, he never explained them. He would just tell a story, and then tell another story, and then tell another story, and then tell another story, and then, peace, I'm out. You just leave. That's it. Church is over. He left the people sitting there going, what does this mean? And then he would go into the inner room with only his 12 disciples. And by the way, the 12 he chose, but there were about 118 other, 108 others. There were 120 total, including the 12 disciples that followed him everywhere. That is, he chose the 12. The other 108 were self-selected. They selected themselves to be disciples of Jesus. And he did not cast them out. And so he would go into the inner room with the 12, but the 108 were outside sticking their ears in the windows. They still heard everything Jesus said to the 12 in the inner room. That 120 not only stuck with Jesus wherever he went, but even after he ascended into heaven, in the upper room, how many were there? 120. On the day of Pentecost, how many were there? 120. 12 he chose. 108 self-selected. Listen, you don't need a visitation from heaven to decide to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You simply have to see enough value in him to make the decision for yourself. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. So he'd go into the inner room and the disciples would say, what did that parable mean? Like the parable of the sower here in Mark 4. That's the first parable he told in this chapter. A sower went out to sow seed. He scattered seed everywhere. And some seed fell along the path. And the birds came down and devoured it. And other seed fell on among stones. And it it had no root. And so it died off quickly when the sun shined on it. And other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it. But other seed fell on good soil. And it brought forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And then he would end the parable by saying, let him who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And then he would bounce. 
So even his disciples are like, what did that mean? And then he would explain it to them. The sower is me, the son of man. The seed is the word. I scatter it everywhere. And then he explained what the seed on the pathway and the seed among stones and the seed among thorns and the seed on good soil. He explained everything that it meant. And then he went out and told some more parables. Now he gets done with an epic day of parable telling. Remember, readiness has been made in the hearts of the hearers. He produces readiness in the hearts of the hearers through the parables. And we get to verse 35 and it says, on that same day, he says to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side. Let's go. Let's bounce. Let's cross over to the other side. Meaning, you've got to keep in mind that this journey across the Sea of Galilee was Jesus' idea. Yeah. You've got to keep that in mind. The disciples did not decide on their own to cross this sea by themselves. Jesus said, let's get in a boat and go to the other side. And the scripture says in verse 37 that after they take off, a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. So Jesus, his idea sends them right into a life-threatening windstorm. Because how many times have you been in the midst of a storm and you thought to yourself, I must not be in the will of God. I know my problem. I just, I didn't listen to God. I didn't obey God. Because we tend to have this idea that if it's the will of God, everything just goes smoothly. If it's the will of God, there can't be any problems. If anything goes wrong, I must be out of the will of God, not realizing that sometimes the will of God sends you directly into a storm. Sends you directly into the worst storm. To make matters worse, at the height of the storm, Jesus decides to take a nap. At the worst part, at the most dangerous moment, Jesus decides to disappear. He decides that his presence will no longer be available for this moment. You see, whenever God withdraws from you for a moment, and when I say withdraws from you, I don't mean abandons you. He never abandons you. I don't mean forsakes you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Never. I don't care what you feel. The truth is that God is always with you. Jesus was still on the boat. He didn't leave the boat. When he walked on water, he was walking to their boat in that other story. He never walked on water to get away from their boat. He doesn't abandon ship, but he will go to sleep on the ship. And it says he was sleeping on a pillow. Look at verse 38. God was in the comfortable place while the disciples were in the most uncomfortable place of their lives. Just imagine Jesus like just fluffing a pillow. (laughs) I think I need a nap just before the storm. And as soon as he goes to sleep, whoosh, the waves start billowing. And it was like, you know, the perfect storm. Do you see that movie? Perfect storm. And what do the disciples do? When the storm hits, 
they go to work. It's not written in the text, but it's implicit that they go to work. They got their pails and their buckets and they're filling it up and trying to throw the water overboard, but they can't throw the water off the boat fast enough. More water has come. Every, every bucket they throw off the boat, five buckets come back into the boat. They are frantic. But implicit in their franticness. Is that a word, Kev? Yes, I didn't think so. In their franticity. Is a presupposition. Jesus can't do anything about this. Or he won't. We are on our own. We even theologize that idea. Well, God helps those who help themselves, which is not in the Bible. Although it's a lot of people's favorite scripture. They don't come to Jesus until they're within an inch of their lives. They don't come to Jesus until they have extinguished all of their effort. Until all of their effort has come to nothing. Their presupposition is we're supposed to do everything that we can possibly do first. And then we'll go to God as a last resort. And I draw this from the fact that what they say to Jesus when they come to him is, don't you care? Don't you care that we perish? Verse 38 again. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, rabbi. What did Nicodemus say to Jesus? We just talked about this last week. I know that you're a teacher who comes from God. I've gathered, I've deduced that you are a teacher. And Jesus says, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Meaning, you see a teacher, but you get born again, you'll see the kingdom of God. You'll look at me and not see a teacher, you'll see the kingdom of God. Here we are in the boat with the very disciples of Jesus whom he called by their names who abandoned everything to follow him, who saw so much value in him that they were willing to walk away from everything to follow him. And in the midst of their storm, they revert to this role that they had known all their lives. Teacher. That's all we know. Teacher. Which means you give us some good teachings. That's what you've been doing all day today is teaching and giving us parables and teachings and then explaining the parables and the teachings. You're only good for teaching. But in this area, you've got no power. And so they come to him saying, don't you care? They're not expecting him to do anything about it. Maybe they're expecting him to grab a bucket with them. Why aren't you freaking out, God? How come you don't freak out when I freak out? Don't you care that we perish? Is it a little thing to you that we're all about to die? One of the greatest signs of unbelief is that when you finally do come to God, you only come to him with an accusation. Yeah. 
You don't care. You don't care about me. I've been there. I remember I was so frustrated one day. I told God, I said, I don't even know why I talk to you. I might as well talk to this wall. I get about the same response. Which is a dangerous thing to say to God. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, <laughs> you, just, you know, I mean, like, probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Because, you know, a lot of people will say, you can say anything you want to God. He can take it. Yes, he can, but it's probably not helpful. I mean, I can say anything I want to my parents, too. But there's a lot of things I would never say to them. Because it's not relationally helpful. Can they take it? Sure, they can take it. But dishonor and disrespect is not good for your relationship with God. Doesn't mean you can't tell them you're hurting. Yeah. But can you tell them you're hurting without an accusation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you care? Don't you care about us? Accusing God of not caring? Accusing Jesus of not caring, not knowing that he's getting ready to carry their cares and sorrows on his body on the cross, that he's getting ready to die, that the whole reason why he came from heaven to earth was because he cared so deeply. He cared about us in ways that we could never imagine. He cared about us more than we cared for ourselves. Don't you care that we're dying to them, survival had already become a foregone conclusion. It's done. We're dead. And you're asleep on a pillow. And you don't even care. Instead of, Jesus, help us. Instead of crying out for help, they simply leveled an accusation against him. Verse 39. Then he arose. Shoot. There's more power in that word. First of all, when he died on the cross, what did it say he did on the third day? He arose. <laughs> There's power in that word. <laughs> when God gets up, I mean, you don't get it. You know, because I know, like, my brothers and I would be fooling around. If dad or mom got up, they weren't just standing up. <laughs> Sometimes my, my mom, she would arose. She arose. When she arose, you're like, oh, shoot. We're sorry. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> there was a cry in ancient Israel, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him turn and flee from his presence. You hear the gangsterness in that, in that? Let God arise. If God just stands up, his enemies are like, oh, snap, I'm up out. Then he arose and rebuked. Which is the same word that it uses when he cast out demons. He treated the storm like it was a devil. He arose and rebuked the wind. Shut your mouth. 
Boy, I slap you, slap your, my grandmother used to say, I'm going to slap your face round and round. That's what my grandmother used to say. <laughs> Sometimes my grandma would be so mad when she was rebuking that she couldn't even get the words out. She's just... <laughs> you know, you know what that meant. <laughs> There's almost anger in that term. He rebuked the wind. If you don't be quiet, shut up. And said to the sea, peace. Which sounds very, you know, passive, right? Sounds like Switzerland. Peace. I don't want any trouble. Peace. Shh. It's okay. Like he soothed it. I love that verse in Romans chapter 16, verse 8. Or is it verse 20? Where it says, be of good cheer. For the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's the peace of God right there. Satan, that's God's peace. That's, God, that's God's gangster peace. God's peace is not passive. It is highly militant. Not in a political sense. In a spiritual sense. Or how about this passage here in, what is it, Philippians chapter 4, verses, what is it, 6 and 7, 6 through 8, where he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in all things through prayer and petition, or prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And then what's the result? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard. The peace of God is a guard, an armed guard. Your heart and mind. In Christ. The peace of God will guard your The peace of God is walking around your heart and mind like this. And your heart and mind's right behind the peace of God. And the peace of God's like, try to come up in here. I wish, <laughs> I wish a ninja would. <laughs> I wish a ninja would try to come up in here and take this man's peace. That's the peace of God. He says to the wind, be quiet. He looks at the waves and goes, you better be at peace. Be still. <laughs> My mama used to say, boy, you better sit down and be still before I come over there and lay hands on you suddenly. <laughs> I will slap you so hard you'll have six visions, five dreams, and four revelations. <laughs> Do you want to see Jesus? I can arrange a meeting. I will slap you through the great tribulation. You'll wake up in the millennium. <laughs> And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, if I were the disciples, here's what I would immediately think. Why didn't we just go to him in the first place? Why did we waste all that time with our buckets? We couldn't look at our buckets and realize that these buckets will not suffice. That in the face of this storm, there's nothing that our human effort can do. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against human effort. 
Because I know there's somebody who will misinterpret this sermon and decide, I'm not going to go to work anymore. I'm just going to trust the Lord. Just going to stay home and pray. No, there's a place for human effort. But there are storms that you step into that are beyond human effort. And the quicker you identify, the quicker you determine, the quicker you observe the fact that this storm will not respond to human effort, and the quicker you quit striving and simply go to the one who does have power over the storm. The problem with the disciples is that they did not know. They honestly did not know and therefore did not believe that Jesus actually had power over storms. And this is why he sent them into one. Now we know why getting on this boat was his idea. Because you don't know how powerful I am yet. But by the time we finish this journey, you're going to find out. You're going to learn today. You ever stop to think that maybe the current storm that you're walking through right now was God's idea simply because there's an area of his greatness and of his power that you were completely ignorant of. Look at verse 40. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? When he said, why is it that you have no faith? What's he saying? You didn't know this about me? You didn't know this about me? See, faith requires knowledge. Faith is not blind. Blind faith, that's not what the Bible calls for. People say, well, I don't believe in Jesus because I don't believe in blind faith. No, 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 no. I don't believe in blind faith either. We think faith is just walking around in the dark. I believe. That's not what it is. Faith is the result of coming face to face with Jesus, of seeing who he is, experiencing his power, and in response to his presence, declaring, I believe. Making the decision to believe him because you've met him, because you've encountered him, because you've seen him do something. And maybe you've encountered him by seeing what he did in somebody else's life. It might not have even been your own life, but you saw it. We have a friend in Indonesia, and he saw, he was an atheist. He said, I was not only an atheist, but an evangelistic atheist. He traveled around the world preaching the gospel of God is not real. And he said he converted a lot of Christians to atheism. He said, but then my uncle and aunt went to this evangelistic crusade. And my uncle had a mouth full of cavities and they did not have the money to get all of the work done that they needed done. And at that crusade, the Lord not only healed all of his cavities, but performed um, root canals on him by the Holy Spirit. And his fillings were made of gold. Which is completely outside of my worldview, too. Like, I don't, I don't, that don't make no sense to me. 
But he said, this is my own uncle. I knew him yesterday. His mouth was a mess. Today he walks in and opened his mouth and he said, I saw with my own eyes the gold fillings. And he even went to the dentist and they took x-rays and they said that those gold fillings went all the way up to the roots. All of his dental work was done. And he said when he saw what God did in his uncle, he said there's something wrong with what I believe. It messed up his worldview. And that was the open door to him coming to faith in Jesus. You don't even need your own encounter initially. You simply need to see what God has done in somebody else's life and take it seriously. How is it that you have no faith? Haven't you seen all the stuff I've done? That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Could you not extrapolate that if I could multiply bread and fishes and feed a multitude, that I had some power out here too? Could you not extrapolate the power of God from the previous experiences of your life into the current experience of your life? That if he was powerful enough for your yesterday, he's powerful enough for your today? Verse 41, and this is what I've been getting to. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be? Meaning at that very moment, listen, uh, there's a lot of people getting up and walking around. Can I please ask that this be the last one? You're fine, brother. I didn't mean to, I don't mean to uh, humiliate you, but there's been a lot of getting up, walking around. And every time you get up and walk through the middle, they see it on the, ca the, the camera. So please, let's, let's, I'm done soon, okay? Bear with me. I'm almost done. Thank you. Who can this be? Translation. We thought we knew him, but we realize in this moment that he's completely unknown to us. At that moment, they experienced the unknown Jesus. He's bigger than we thought he was. He's greater than we thought he was. He has more power than we thought he had. Yeah. He's more concerned about us than we thought he was. Yeah. He's more able to help us than we thought he was. Yeah. He's more present in time of need than we knew him to be. This is the unknown Jesus. See, some of you need to go beyond the Jesus that you've known all these years and recognize that there's a whole other side to Jesus that you haven't seen yet, that you haven't heard yet, that you haven't understand yet. There's some storms that you don't yet know he has power over. And I promise you, God is going to lead you into those storms. But when God leads you into a storm, it's because he's trying to show you another dimension of his glory that you have not yet seen, another dimension of his power that you have not yet known, another dimension of his presence that you have not yet encountered, the unknown Jesus. That's where faith begins. When I look at something he says or does and say, I never knew that about you. I thought I knew you. And that's the great, do you realize that familiarity breeds contempt? That we can get so familiar with Jesus and we sing all these songs about, oh, how I love Jesus and I believe in Jesus and I know Jesus and I love Jesus. Not realizing that there's the dark side of my heart where I'm completely ignorant of Jesus. And there's all these circumstances and situations in my life in which I live like an atheist. We all have these moments of temporary atheism where we respond to a circumstance as if there were no God. 
Martin Luther went through a time in which he was deeply depressed. And one day in the midst of his depression, his wife comes walking down the stairs wearing all black and a black veil over her face and a black hat on and a black dress. And he says, why are you wearing all black? She says, I'm going to a funeral. He said, whose funeral are you going to? She said, God's. He said, what are you talking about? She said, God is dead. He said, no, baby, God is not dead. God is not dead. She goes, then why are you acting the way you're acting? I'm simply looking at your life. And I'm looking at the way you're acting. And if you're acting the way you're acting, God must be dead. God must have no power over your situation. God must have nothing to say about what you're going through in your life right now. And if God is dead, I'm going to his funeral. But if you want me to believe God is alive, start acting like it. That was enough to wake him up. I tell you, sometimes the wisdom of your wife, <laughs> it just, it's all you need. And she has a way to put you on blast too, huh? Your wife can just put you on blast like nobody else in the most wonderful way. <laughs> right, baby? What's the sign that you truly believe in Jesus? you go to church a lot of folks go to church who don't believe in him at all do you sing the songs a lot of people sing the songs and don't believe a word of them did you lift your hands and cry a lot of people lift their hands and cry and they're just having an emotional experience because they had a tough week do you give your offering a lot of people give their offering just to set themselves free from a sense of obligation convince themselves that it does something in heaven you know what the real sign is that you love jesus by the way there's nothing all those things are good things yeah. but they're the field not the treasure yeah. do you know the true sign that you truly value the treasure it's simple you come to him with every problem you're quick to run down to the stern and wake him up on his pillow. You don't try to handle storms by yourself in your own power. Yeah. You're always willing to grab the bucket, but you want to see if he's grabbing a bucket first. You come to him. And you come to him daily. And you come to him constantly. And you experience a little anxiety at lunchtime, you run to him with it. And you have a negative encounter with an, a, a fellow employee at work, and you run to him with it. And you have a negative run-in with your wife or your husband, and you run to him with it. And the rent is due and the light bill too, and money is funny and change is strange, you run to him with it. Yeah. You constantly run. To, see, listen, I've been the pastor of this church for 19, going on 20, this is my 20th year as the pastor of this church. And what I've experienced again and again and again and again and again and again is people call me in the midst of their deepest crises, which is the greatest honor. I'm not saying this to suggest don't call me because it is a great honor to walk with people in the midst of their crises. Yeah. But one question I like to ask is, what are you experiencing when you pray about this? Yeah. And the answer that I typically get is, I haven't prayed about this yet. Yeah. And I'm saying this to you, not once again, not in any way, shape or form to suggest that I don't want to be here for you but I can tell you with full and total honesty and from the depth of my love for you that I have no power 
to fix your situation in any way. And that if you're not willing to run to him, running to me will do nothing for you. But if you're running to him, I can run to him with you. If you're talking to him, I can talk to him with you. If you're crying out to him, I can cry out to him with you. At the end of the day, he's more than a rabbi. He's the Lord over the storm. He rides on storms. He rides on clouds. He has authority over wind and waves. And there's not a storm that you can walk through in your life that God doesn't have power over. He has power over every storm, over every circumstance, over every trial, over every tribulation. There is nothing that you could ever walk through that is irrelevant to him. So many of us believers, we just have this idea. Maybe that we don't even think, but we live according to it. That Jesus is great for Sunday. He's great for teaching us some parables. And he can definitely teach us the Bible. And that's great for eternal life. But when it comes to my day-to-day struggles, he can do nothing about it. And we would never say that in our minds, but we live like it. And we live like it because we don't go to him. If you truly believe that he has power over your wind and your waves, you will come to him with your wind and your waves. But this is the great problem. Because I am not saying that the moment that you turn to him concerning your wind and waves, he commands it to be still. I'm not saying that to you. Because what we tend to do is when we do come to him with our wind and our waves, because he doesn't immediately get up and tell them to be still, we assume he must not have power. Sometimes you've got to sit with him in the stern of the boat for an extended period of time while the boat is filling up with water and continue to believe He still has power over this. What did the three Hebrew boys say? Nebuchadnezzar. He said, if you don't bow down and worship my gods, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they said, throw us in. Our God can deliver us from that fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't we still do not bow down and worship your gods. Translation, sometimes he gets up and rebukes the wind and the waves and sometimes he doesn't. But even if he doesn't, I know it's for my good and for his glory. And I'm going to sit in the stern with him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, as Job said. I'm going to walk through every storm with his hand in mine, with my hand in his. Jesus unknown. There's so much more to him than you've known. There's so much more to him than I've known. And what God wants to do in this series is strip from our consciousness the presupposition that we know him. 
you can get into a spiritual rut where you just think this is all it is. This is what the Christian life is, and we extrapolate our current experience forward throughout the end of our lives, and we just expect, yeah, it's just going to go on like this. Which means that I've just gotten comfortable with the knowledge of Jesus that I have. Don't get me wrong, it's not that I'm completely ignorant of him. I know that he was born of the Virgin Mary. I know that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. I know that he was crucified, dead, and buried. I know that he arose again on the third day. I know that he ascended to the right hand of the Father. I know that there's no salvation in any other name but, that the name, but by the name of Jesus. I know that he's coming again. I know I've received him as my Lord and Savior. I know that I'm saved. I know that I, you, know, you can know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have believed him. But the Christian faith is not about simply believing him so that you can go to heaven when you die. It's about knowing him. It's about growing in the grace and of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about ever deepening in your faith in him. It's about day by day, just a closer walk with you. It's about waking up this morning and saying, show me something that I didn't see yesterday. Speak to me something that I didn't hear yesterday. Open my eyes to understand something that I didn't understand yesterday. I want to grow closer with you. I want to know you more. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be about. That is the definition of discipleship. And what we don't understand is that that is God's desire for us. And that every storm that you enter into is God's invitation for you to come a little closer. Because he knows. He knows. Nobody else knows, but he knows. He sees all the way to the depth of your heart. The suffering that's so secret, and some of it's even a secret to you, that in your own soul you've cried out, God, why does this hurt so bad? I don't even know what happened in that place in my life. He's holding you in that place and saying, I know. But the mystery is not what happened to you. The mystery is who he is. Who he is. That's the mystery that he's inviting us into. Each and every day. The unknown Jesus is so much greater than the known Jesus. The Jesus that you know, there's so much more to him. So much more. And it's an adventure. And getting to know that Jesus is not just about locking yourself in a room until he appears to you. It's about continuing to walk through your life. You don't have to pray for storms to come. They're coming. But in every one, his invitation is to come a little closer. A little closer. Bow your heads with me. Worship team, come back. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. Precious Heavenly Father, I I just speak your blessing over this gathering. Everyone under the sound of my voice, I just speak your blessing. And I thank you that the invitation to faith is for each and every one of us. Everyone in this room. Today, you do not distinguish between believers and unbelievers. Your invitation, wherever we are, is to take a step closer towards you. Wherever we are, 
Some of us are further along on the journey than others. It doesn't matter. We still need to take a step further as well. And sometimes it's harder for those of us who are a little further along on the journey because we tend to become complacent. We tend to think that we've gotten somewhere. We tend to become comfortable with where we are. Say, that's enough. But Lord, today you're calling us out of our complacency. Lord, some are at the beginning of the journey and haven't even taken their first step. And it's, that's a difficult place too. In the extremities, the beginning and far towards the end, those extremities are tough. The first mile of the journey and the last mile of the journey is tough. But Father, wherever we are, you're calling us to make a decision to take a step towards you. So Father, I pray that that decision would be made in every heart today. I'm taking a step towards Jesus. I'm taking a step towards Jesus. I'm starting with what I know. I'm starting with the decision to believe what's written of you in the scriptures. Starting with the fact that even just the simple truth that you died for my sins, that you took everything that I ever did wrong on your body on the cross and everything that I ever will do wrong on your body on the cross and you paid the price for it before God so that I could be forgiven. I believe that. I trust that. I put my trust in that. Lord, for some of us, it's our first step. For others of us, it's our 1,000th step. But I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that every single one of us would keep stepping, would just keep stepping, would keep stepping. And when you invite us to step onto the boat, we'd step onto the boat with you. You invite us into the storm, we would just walk through the storm with you. That wherever we are, our hearts would open and true faith would be born in us that would say, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you're here. I believe that you're here and you're obviously more powerful than I thought you were. You got more power than I thought you had. More glory than I thought you had. You're more beautiful than I thought you were. You're more present with me than I thought you were. More available to me than I knew you to be. Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our ears. As we open our hearts, we pray that you would open our souls to the glory of Jesus, to see the unknown Jesus, the Jesus that we haven't yet met, something of his glory that we haven't yet known, something that we haven't yet discovered. We want to know the Jesus that we haven't known yet. We want to know that Jesus because your promise still stands. You said... If anyone comes to me, I will by no means cast him out. Lord, some of us have had experiences where you've come alongside us at the shore of the sea and said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But others of us haven't had that experience, but we can still self-select. We just like the 108, we can make a decision. I'm going to follow him too. He didn't speak to me, but I'm going to follow him too. He didn't call me into the inner room, but I'm going to come stick my ear in the window. I'm going to hear everything that the disciples hear. Lord, you receive everyone who comes to you. And I pray that there would be a great coming to you. A great coming to you. Come on, worship team. A great coming to you. Jesus. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Come on, stand up on your feet. Just sing this to the Lord. I'm still.
Your promise still stands. this prayer say Lord Jesus based on the knowledge I have of you and the faith that you've given me even if it's small I come to you today and I ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would show me who you are that every day you would draw me closer and that you would open my eyes to see your glory. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me, that you arose, that you live for me, and that you're coming back for me, and that you love me, and you're inviting me to walk with you every day. I say yes to your invitation. I say yes, and I trust you. But help my unbelief. Help me to trust you more. 
Help me to believe you more. Help me with my doubts. Overcome my accusations. Holy Spirit, give me faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Listen, hold on, hold on, hold on. Listen, if you're at the beginning of your journey, my encouragement to you is don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. We have some wonderful resources. The first resource we have is our community groups. Our community groups. Our community groups are simply small gatherings of individuals who meet together on a weekly basis. It's informal. They're just individuals who will walk with you. We gotta do this thing together. None of us can survive as Lone Rangers. So you can ask at the connection table, say, I wanna join a community group. I'm interested in visiting a community group, even just not making a commitment, but just visit. You can totally do that. But another resource is you can just come up here to the altar at the end of the service and grab any one of us leaders here, and we will pray for you. We would love to do that. All of us. Amen? Lift your hands to the Lord. And now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought forth from the grave our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in you what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.